You're listening to the Islamic Sustainable Finance and Investment Podcast, the show discussing the latest and most exciting developments of Sharia-compliant sustainable finance. Ficus Capital is targeting to close its inaugural Islamic Southeast Asian Tech Fund in the third quarter of this year. My name is Marlena Karim, the editor of Islamic Sustainable Finance and Investment, and we are joined by Rina Neal, managing partner of Ficus Capital, to talk about how the VC has shifted its focus towards sustainability, as well as some of the challenges of managing an inaugural fund. Hi, Rina. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Marlena. Thank you for having us. So tell us a little about Ficus Capital and the Ficus Southeast Asia Fund. Ficus was actually formed, or the idea came about uh, in late 2018, uh, where I met my partners Hidayat uh, and our chairman. So we wanted 100% uh, local VC uh, because we we thought uh, there was a vacuum in that space. So we actually started working on the idea, and then uh, in late 2019, we got the final approval from Securities Commission. That's where the fund was formed. And then Ficus is a 60 million ringgit fund. We focus on technology sectors. So I would say that now most industries uh, would adopt you know, technologies or tech, right? So sometimes the fund, when we come across some opportunistic deal, we do invest, but the few sectors that we really like are fintech, edutech, green tech, of course, and then uh, martech, which is the big data space. So we invest anywhere from seed to pre-IPO, but most of our AUM, 40% is allocated to seed and uh, series A. We have actually invested in two companies. Uh, one in Malaysia is an EV motorbike. And then the other one, uh, the recent investment is actually a Indonesian-based but Singapore company in AR and VR. I see. So what does this fund focus on? So Ficus C Fund uh, basically invests 50% of our AUM in Malaysian company because we have uh, our anchor investor, which is Mavcap. And then the other 50% of our AUM is actually focused on Southeast Asia. That's why uh, the recent investment is actually a Singapore company. So even for Southeast Asia, one of the reasons that we do that is because Malaysia as a market is pretty small. Uh, so Southeast Asia is a geography that we think is still growing and has opportunity to grow. I understand. So with Mavcap playing a role as an anchor investor and with the mandate for investing in Malaysian companies, has that been a challenge for you guys? I think it is more a compliment. You know, having an anchor investor is important, especially for a new fund. You know, just like any new startup, uh, you have, you know, probably need to show your track record. So we have challenges. For example, when we go to GLCs uh, in Malaysia, um, we were told that they don't invest in first time fund. So, of course, myself and, you know, my colleagues, uh, we have our personal track record for myself. Ficus is actually a second fund, but of course, GLCs and some family offices and pension funds, they have their criteria. So it's, it's important for Ficus to build our track records since this is our first fund. But having Mavcap coming in and, you know, taking a bet on, on us, I think uh, we appreciate that effort because they as a fund of fund have other choices as well. But because they are a sort of like a government body, having a mandate of investing 50% of our AUM in Malaysia is a challenge as well because 
what if we can't find uh, good companies in Malaysia? So, of course, we did consider that. And of course, there is a way to uh, get around it. So in the event when we have to deploy our fund and there's not enough good companies uh, to invest in Malaysia, we do have the freedom to invest outside of Malaysia. Of course, uh, nation building is one of the mandate. But uh, as a fund, our first priority is to return the hurdle rate and uh, also the profits to the investors. So how has the fundraising been so far? So, of course, during COVID, it was pretty hard for us to actually go overseas to even do due diligence. It has been hard uh, two parts because we, as a VC, we need to raise money from our investors. So our investors are like high net worth individuals, family offices and corporations. So in Malaysia, there is a new incentive for corporation. But our challenge for the fundraising part so it's a chicken and egg situation. You need to raise the fund before you can deploy. But sometimes when you have the fund, you can't find a good company to deploy. So, uh, But we have been blessed. Uh, the two companies that we have invested in uh, on the book, there's already you know, uh, growth. We are hoping to announce uh, two other investments uh, this coming month, hopefully in May. So a typical process will take us you know, from identifying a deal to investing Typically, the fastest would be like three months, but sometimes it could take up to six months if they are like an overseas company outside of Malaysia. Because um, once we have uh, the green light from our investment committee, we will need to do uh, thorough due diligence, you know, technical, legal and financial due diligence as well. I understand that the fund shifted its focus toward ESG after its inception. So tell us a little about that. Okay, so when we first started, of course, every fund, there is a thematic. So while ours is a tech focus, my partners are professionals from the Islamic finance background. So we thought uh, Malaysia, you know, having its reputation in Islamic finance, we would probably capitalize on this platform. And uh, so we're still, a, you know, a Sharia compliant VC fund. But when uh, me and my colleagues actually look at deals, right, we actually find that the ESG component, the compliance of the ESG is actually there's an intersection with Islamic finance. So especially on the governance part of it, on being you know equal and fair. So we actually came up with uh, the ESGI framework. Now, the question is, uh, most people actually threw this question to us, right? So ESGI is a still an evolving framework. Uh, would startups uh, or companies that we invest in at early stage does ESG uh, matters to them? Our take is that we feel that, you know, the companies that we invest in, obviously, we want them to grow and to raise more serious money from the PE or, you know, being acquired by some big guys one day. And uh, we feel that it's important if they have awareness on the ESGI part of it as part of their business strategy not doing it for the sake of doing it right for compliance because there's no compliance needed for startup or even SMEs until uh, maybe if you are a public listed company. But important things to take note is that if the startups will uh, embrace it early, we feel that it is good for the company if they have those values and they've embedded in into their business plan and business strategy is mitigating risk ultimately for ESG, right? And we probably see the trends of a startup, you know, failing 
mostly not because they are harming the environment too much, therefore they get sanctioned, but it's more on the governance part and some, you know, maybe a small part on the social part of it. So a lot of corporate governance wasn't being implemented or the, the founders are just not aware because maybe they're young. Startup is always, you know, like a bulldoze kind of uh, attitude, right? You just grow without really thinking on how you're going to manage that growth. So we feel that if we can look into this while we are evaluating the deal, meaning we will put some weightage on these three segments. Social part being, for example, uh, how the team actually work together, how the leaders are treating uh, the staff or the employees of the companies. And uh, governance, I think, uh, is crucial for us. For a young company, uh, the ability to report and to provide us with reports shows whether the management you know, are doing things the right way. I mean, based on our experience or my personal experience as an angel investor, not being able to actually produce an audited report is a very, very uh, red flag for us. And uh, in one year, two years, it will become a, a nightmare after that. And the ability to raise money will probably be affected if you know the numbers are not in place. Do you think that investors have a higher demand for investing in SMEs, for example, that are aligned with ESGs? I think, yes, there is definitely a segment of investors that is looking at, you know, companies that do good, do well, right? Especially in the PE space. So um, there is a company that we are going to invest. They're in this uh, ESG monitoring space. So their clients are mainly the private equity companies. So uh, case in point, CVC, for example, they mandate all their portfolio company to be ESG compliant. And of course, now banks are also looking at green loans and green financing, especially in Malaysia. We do see that if you want to raise big money, being ESG compliant definitely gives you an added advantage. But most SMEs, uh, I happen to be the secretary general for a new association in Malaysia, ESG Association in Malaysia. Frankly, we have close to about maybe 80 members right now, corporate members, but most of them are keen to actually understand this space more, how it affects them, how it will benefit them. But most people think that it's an extra work for them. So, of course, if you're just doing it for the sake of doing it, like passing an exam without really knowing how to apply it and how to capitalize it, then it will be a chore. But if you look at it, right, it is basically, you know, risk management. So if you are able to manage risk well, definitely your company will be more attractive. So I do see that this is a added advantage. So if, you know, I am an investor and I'm going to invest in a company, a brick and mortar company, and one has ESG reporting or is ESG compliant versus the other one and everything else, you know, status quo, obviously, the one with the ESG roadmap has a better chance because I know that the management actually look at the business in a more holistic way, not just uh, financial. So one of the things that we want to do is to look at the company and the team in a more holistic way instead of just looking at numbers, right? Numbers do tell a story, but it's the people that manage the numbers. In Malaysia and in Asia, of course, ESG is is a growing trend. Everybody is, I wouldn't say there is an expert in the ESG space because it's quite wide and there are like frameworks and standards. 
what works for one company may not work for another company. So we feel that um, there's a lot of education uh, needed and it has to be intertwined with your business strategy as you, you know, sort of embark on this ESG journey. What you're saying kind of alludes to it. It doesn't really matter how you feel about ESG per se. At the end of the day, it's good for business. Of course, if you look at it, right, because if you are managing the the, the three segments, the environment, the social and the governance, if you're in a business that emit too much CO2, even if you don't really bother, if you're in a, a geography that doesn't or a government that doesn't impose big fines for uh, emitting too much CO2, it's fine if your area of business is within that particular country. But for example, in, in Malaysia, right, we have the biggest glove manufacturing industry, right? They were in they were exporters and it's important for those who are in a uh, situation where you need to trade with other countries. Obviously, uh, ESG sort of compliance uh, started from the West, right? So if a Malaysian company, for example, uh, is just trading within Malaysia, so of course you don't have to be to bother about being compliant. But if you need to export to European countries, obviously we all know that there are already you know uh, tax uh, being imposed or some penalties if you're not compliant so it basically is like when people want to buy from you they want to buy from a company that they know you know you're you're a good company if they want to trade with you they want to make sure that your company will be there for the next five ten years case in point this glove company their um, export in u.s was actually uh, confiscated and the the reason is because of the social part as part of it of uh, you know the the labor they were not really treating uh, their employees the way it should be done so there is a as part of it so obviously the US will not say you know I give you a penalty they just stop buying from us because uh, other people are pro- providing gloves as well but I know that this company A is, uh, you know, the gloves that I use is is not produced by like, you know, forced labor or child labor. So people, if they have a choice, they would want to buy that. There is, I would say, an emotional attachment to or feel good factor if you buy from a company that is, uh, you know, is doing good and not just being there because of uh, profit. You mentioned that some players, be they SMEs or investors, are not sure that ESG investing is worthwhile. So literacy is an issue here. So what role does a VC like yourselves play in terms of promoting literacy in this space? Well, as a VC, obviously, uh, you know, when we need, so two parts, right? So we need to raise funds uh, from investors so that we can invest in the companies or the industries that we wish to invest in. So now that we are, we call ourselves an ESGI space, uh, VC. Obviously, the uh, investors that we approach, right, uh, has to be the right target as well. Because if I approach a businessman, for example, who want to invest purely because I can give them the best return, obviously VC can't guarantee a dividend like other products, right? But if an investor is someone who don't care about, you know, whether you invest in, in a in a sustainable company or invest in any company and all I want is my return, then definitely pitching to this investor about FICUS being ESGI compliant and this is how we look at deals, this is how we do our due diligence, 
doesn't matter to this particular person. But we know that there are many family offices and the third generation wealth is looking at this space. So for a VC, um, I think we need to be, I would say, more proactive in uh, basically educating the investors about, you know, what's the difference between just investing and investing in a sustainable business. But I must say, you know, VC investing or being a LP or limited partner or investor in a VC fund for Malaysia and for ASEAN, there's still a lot of work to be done because we have approached many successful businessmen. The first thing they asked is like, how much dividend can you give me? But in a VC structure, there's no dividend. It's only like capital gain once we exit, right? So there is a fixed mindset of investment in these, I would say, slightly, maybe they're already involved in the brick and mortar businesses. They don't understand that much the dynamics of uh, investing in tech companies. And for startups that we invest in, it's also another challenge because suddenly startup, you know, the first thing startup need to be aware of is their economic survival, right? So some of them will be like, I'm already busy, you know, chasing sales, worrying about this. And uh, here you are, you know, uh, telling me that I have to comply this and, you know, I have to give you more reports. But we try to tell them that uh, if you are doing the right things right, producing a report is not going to be hard. Once you weave it in into your daily so-called journey, it will be get easier. And with the report, if you're doing it for the sake of getting a star, you know, or getting a, a you know a check mark or a certificate, then um, it's, it's a waste of time. But if you're producing or getting reports uh, or the measurement, and you look at it, you'll be able to see insights about the company whether it's doing well or is you know doing not so well. And of course, business exists to make profit. So our pitch, even from a VC perspective or wearing a hat of the Secretary General of ESG Association, we always tell the SMEs that you know uh, managing risk is critical for business. People want to do business with a company that I know is going to stay, right? And there's no hanky-panky that potentially will cause the company to uh, shut down or anything. Education is important so that people can make the right choice. Uh, it is something that is not a law yet. So you have a choice. If you see the benefits, obviously you embrace it uh, you know, willingly. So that's something that we cannot force. Like. It sounds like you're alluding to maybe the idea that it's not mandatory yet, but this is something that's very much going to be mandatory soon. Is that your stance? Uh, yes, there are some industries, for example, like uh, if you are a public listed companies, uh, stock exchange have actually mandated listed companies to actually do reporting. And of course, uh, you know, if you are a good company, you did not harm the environment, you are treating your employee well, you have, you know, top class, uh, you know, governance in your company. This is something that a ESG compliance report will help you convey the message to your shareholders instead of just a financial report at the end of the year, right? So uh, you are right. People are, are still doing this uh, wait-and-see game, but um, it's not just us, FICERS, or this association that is pushing for it. In anything that is new, there will be proponents who are like, you know, the, the early adopters. There will be people who are just wait-and-see. But I think... People have their own opinions and, and uh, for FICUS, 
we feel that the fundamentals of looking at you know company that is compliance with ESG, there's no harm to it. It's extra work for us, actually. As a VC, our job is, of course, to invest in good company, help them grow. And of course, when the fund is seven years tenure, so when it's time, we need to sell this or pass this company to the next buyer. Obviously, we hope these companies can raise or be acquired by you know, a good investor. Uh, but I must say that most of the PE companies right now mandate their portfolios to be ESG compliant. So why wait until later when you need to do your um, catwalk in, in front of the buyers and then they tell you, oh, if you want me to invite or to, uh, you know, to look into acquiring you, you need to be ESG compliant. So uh, prepare them early. That's what I said. Uh, if it doesn't take much of the time for them. Uh, so I, I would take the stand of, you know, if the startup have the capability to actually embrace it early, it's good for them. We talked a little about how the fund sort of shifted into an ESG focus. Where do we see Ficus Capital going in the future? And does Ficus Capital have any aspirations for an SRI fund under the Securities Commission? I think our focus is really putting all our energy to close the fund. So um, we're hoping to close our 60 million uh, ringgit fund by uh, the third quarter and uh, to focus on investing in good companies and do good exit. Because as a fund, obviously, there are many successful funds that has fund one. So Ficus uh, C Fund is our first fund. But if we do well and we manage to return uh, good profits to our investors, Obviously, there are chances that we can actually do our second fund. In fact, there are many people who ask us to partner with them uh, to do a, a sustainable fund, you know, a, a very focused green tech fund and all this. But as a VC and as a responsible fund manager, or at least this is my personal opinion, this is our first fund in Malaysia. Uh, no point looking at other funds if we cannot manage this fund well. So it's important for us to close the fund, invest in good companies, have a good uh, exit for uh, investors. And normally people who have second fund, third fund, the investors are, you know, the follow-on investors from your first fund. So if you do well for your client, obviously the next fund will be easier. So I, I would say, yes, there's possibility to, to uh, do a second fund. But now I think the focus is really, um, you know, to do a ficus and one well. Between now and closing the fund in the third quarter of this year, what needs to happen? Well, um, of course, uh, when I said need to close the fund, there's still a, a gap to close. So we are busy looking at investors to come in. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, you don't, as a good responsible fund manager, you don't uh, wait for your fund to close and then start doing work. So, and in fundraising is actually a process. Of course, we have a timeline. So if we can close this fund uh, by the, the third quarter, it's good, but it doesn't stop us from investing. So uh, business as usual. So uh, we still look at companies, uh, good companies. Uh, when we pitch to investors and say, hey, you know, invest in my fund, we need to show the pipelines of the companies we look at. For example, a, a typical VC would have look at two, three hundred companies in a year, but we only invest maybe max eight or ten, especially if you're a small fund. 
But uh, we are looking for good investors to join us. We are looking for good uh, startup companies uh, that, you know, will want to take our money because it's not a one-way game. Founders or startups are very, very uh, smart nowadays. They also want to look at if you are a strategic investor or not. Every VC's money is probably the same dollar. It sounds like an interesting balancing act that the VC plays here. And thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and sharing this with us. Thank you, Melina. Thank you for listening. For more discussions on Islamic sustainable finance and investments, log on to www.islamicsustainable.com. You can also listen to the episodes on your favorite platforms, including iTunes and Spotify.